The beauty of life is change and growth and feeling everything and living in it fully. And the more we hide and shy away from that, the more we're stuck where we are. The only way that people know what our needs are is if we advocate for them. You know, comfort zone isn't a bad thing. You can go in there and take a nap, but you can't live there. Not if you actually want any change in your life. I could go back into my hidey hole and never do that again and just live with that feeling of failure. Or I could say, okay, can it go the way that I thought it would? What can I do differently next time? Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that helps professional women access the limitless potential that lies within them. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and my mission is to help you find that spark inside you that has the power to transform your career in ways you may not have thought possible. I'm so excited that you're here. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I have an interview today. I'm so excited. I, you know, this show started as an interview show and I did a ton of interviews at the very beginning and then it kind of morphed into a solo podcast. And so then when I do like these occasional interviews, they're so fun and they feel so special. And today I have a return guest and dear friend of mine, Hannah Rudnick, and I brought her on one because she's amazing. Two, because I loved our first interview so much, (laughs) we already realized that she needs to come on for a third interview. Um, But three, because she is a coach for moms and her coaching is very parent focused. And I know that so many of you who listen either have kids or are in process of having kids or thinking of having kids. And I'm someone who I don't have kids, not sure how that's going to look in my life, to be totally honest. But right now I don't have children. And so it's not something I can speak to from personal experience but it's such a big part of life as a professional female. It's just, it's such a huge thing. Like, I feel like I can't not address it on the show. And so Hannah's the perfect guest to bring on to get her perspective from the parent coach side of things and mix that with my perspective from the career side. And this conversation does that in such a beautiful way. And what I love is I... I have a sneaking suspicion that there's so much juice in this conversation, whether you are a parent or even if you're like, I don't feel like listening to like a parent focused conversation. Although if you click this episode, you're probably not thinking about that. But the reason that I'm saying saying this and sharing this is that she and I get into these deeper topics like self-judgment and being hard on ourselves versus giving ourselves credit and, you know, how we internally tend to navigate and cope with just challenging life circumstances. And there's such beautiful insight and wisdom on this conversation that is definitely focused on parenting. But I also just feel like is probably something that you can apply to so many areas of your life and career. I'll introduce Hannah really briefly, but then I'll just get straight um, into the interview because she introduces herself. She and I were in the same cohort when we trained to become coaches. And so we got to know each other in a really cool and special way where I actually not only know her from being in the training with me, but I have coached her and she has coached me and we've gotten to know each other. And she's a parent coach, as you'll hear. And what I love about her work most is it's very empowering and also just very kind and supportive and loving. And I am all about that. I am all about how do we feel bold and strong and powerful and how do we be super generous and kind and, you know, open hearted with ourselves. And Hannah, Hannah's work, her personality and her work and her coaching and just who she is, she really represents that for me. And that's why I love having conversations with her. So with that, I'm going to cut straight into the interview. Definitely check out the show notes where you're going to find more information on how to get in touch with Hannah. And with that, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be back. Uh, my name is Hannah Rudnick. I am a parent empowerment coach. Uh, and that means that I work with parents, mostly moms, to work on their own goals and help foster a sense of empowerment, a sense of connectedness to themselves and their own lives in whatever way that works for them. I was drawn to it because I was previously a therapist and I had children and I... 
after a while started feeling super disconnected and burnt out and exhausted. And I had to sort of figure out how to reconnect with myself and empower myself. And it was really hard. And afterwards, because I come from a helping profession, I thought, hmm, I bet there's a way to do that so that it's not so hard for people and that I can help other moms get through that together. So that's how I created the type of coaching I do now. I'm so excited to dive into it. And as we were talking about before I hit record, I do not have kids and you have such an interesting perspective and expertise on parenthood. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this conversation unfolds because we're going to have a pretty big focus on motherhood. Yeah, that's my favorite topic. (laughs) So I want to start with this almost kind of feels like a scary topic to discuss. (laughs) I, I'm not sure why. Well, I, know, I do because it, it is a scary topic, but just the decision to have kids or not to have kids. And I don't even have a specific pointed question around it. I just wanted to get your initial thoughts on it and what comes up for you there. Yeah, well, I think it's a really important conversation to have because a lot of times we sort of in our society have this idea that it's not even a conversation that women should automatically want to have children, that that's a part of being a woman. And that's just not true, right? There are many women who live interesting, fulfilling, loving lives who don't want to have kids. And that is just as valid a choice as deciding to have children. And for me, it's about looking at it as a choice and that both sides of that choice are equally valuable and can be equally fulfilling and equally joyful. And okay, it's from the beginning, right? I talk about patriarchy a lot because my coaching is feminist based. So I will say the word patriarchy probably too many times. But patriarchy in our society teaches us that women have value only based on certain things. And one of them is producing and raising children. And we know that that's not actually the case. So a lot of that decision is fraught with all of these pressures from the outside world from our families, from society. And I really think it's more a decision that has to be made from like a deep place within. The thing that stands out to me when it comes to this topic is like whenever you're making a big decision in life, there are all these underlying variables, right? That are impacting how you're thinking about the decision. And I feel like with the decision to have kids, so many of those variables are like taboo or not discussed a lot. And so I, I then think the decision starts to feel really murky and scary and almost like we don't have much dialogue around it openly. So then when it comes time to like think about it yourself internally, it can feel very overwhelming. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's why it's so great that we're having this conversation, right? Because it should be something that we can talk about, you know, deciding to have a child, particularly when you have a career that you really care about, that's a real decision because it will affect your life. It will affect your career. Anyone who tells you that you could do it all and all that without anything changing, that's not true. Now, that's not to say that many moms don't have amazing careers, but I doubt any of them would tell you that having children had zero effect on their work lives. But we don't want to talk about it, right? Because there's all of these complicated systems that we've set up our society isn't really set up to support mothers. And so when you have a child, you are having a child within a system that doesn't support you. And so it makes it really difficult. Now, I'm a mom. I love being a mom. It was was a choice that I made purposefully, and I'm very, very happy about it. But it's hard. <laughs> it's not easy. So it's. I think it's really important to be honest about what motherhood looks like in our society so that people can make an informed choice and so that they can go into motherhood should they decide to ready with some of the tools and skills to have as wonderful of experience as they can. I agree. I think what I see a lot out in the corporate world is this real concern about how it's going to impact someone's trajectory and this fear that it, it's it's not even there's the component of the responsibility of kids once you have them. But then I I also see this other additional piece, which is like, it's this pause button. And I'm scared that like, when I hit the pause button, I can't unpause in the same way that I did before. Because I went and and had kids, it's almost like everyone's running a race. And it's like, well, I just can't get good time on the race if I Mm -hmm. stop to have kids. So I just have to keep running. And it 
it's it makes me sad that the trade-off feels that way. Yeah, and it's interesting how men do not have that same problem when it comes to having children. They don't have to hit a pause. They don't worry about it affecting or impacting their careers. Uh, at least, I mean, not all men, I should say, but probably most, right, in our society that workplaces are not set up for parents. Some are. There are workplaces. Like, I know Patagonia has a whole different system for incorporating parenthood into the lives of their employees. But for the most part, our society is not set up for parents to work, right? It's not, but at the same time, most parents have to work. So it is, it's really, it is a really difficult thing to think about that if I would like to take maternity leave, take an extended maternity leave to be home and bond with my child, Am I completely giving up all of this work that I put in all of these years? And that's really, really scary. And it it shouldn't be that way. Yeah. And the weird thing is too, as you were saying that, what I was thinking about is like, like, let's say you want to take a year, right? In the corporate world, that's like a long time. But when you think about our lives, especially like with what the pandemic has done to my sense of time, now I think a year is nothing, right? Yeah. Like it's just not that long, but yet it, it feels like this really big absence that then returning from could be so difficult. Yeah. And I think there are real truths to that, that it can affect your career and that, and that taking a year off can. I think we also have to acknowledge that some of that is a fear, right? Some of that is just the fear of what might happen. We don't know what's going to happen if we take a year off and come back. We don't know what the situation will be. And I think, you know, the decision to have children and how to go about it and whether to continue with the same career and what all of those things have to be made from a very heart-centered place, right? And a very honest place about if I'm going to make this choice to change my life and to create this new space in my life, all aspects of my life are going to now be different and that's okay. And how am I going to adjust and plan and allow grace for myself so that I can move through this new experience in my life, finding the best possible scenario that works for me? And with the openness that we might not know what that is yet and may have to address it as it comes. And that's very scary because we always want to plan for everything. But you are not going to know how you feel once you have your child with you until you have your child with you. So you won't know when you're going to want to go back to work. Some moms are like, I need to go back to work right away. I cannot be home with this baby. And that's fine. And some moms are like, wait, I can't leave. I need to be home for longer. And that's fine. They're both okay. Any variation of that is okay. And so giving ourselves sort of space and time to settle in and not know and just feel how it is and make choices from there is really important. A theme that I'm definitely hearing come up is not judging, not judging oneself for the decision. Yes. That a person makes. And I'm curious if that's something, I mean, I, <laughs> Based on like what I see in my work around every topic, I know the answer to this question. But like, do you <laughs> see a lot of self judgment coming up around? It's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. The decisions that women make around parenting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, like I'm such a silly I question. Mean, no, but. it's not. But it's so important because you, that's literally should be the tagline: motherhood. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right? Yeah. I, it, Yes, absolutely. There are, and a lot of it, the self judgment, that's these internalized, right? Last time we talked on the podcast, we talked about the inner critic. It's all these internalized messages that we've been given throughout our whole lives about what it means to be a successful woman, what it means to be a good mother. And I use air quotes on that because I don't believe in it. The, there's no such thing as a good mother. Okay. There's yeah. just a mother who's mothering, but. <laughs> Um, we are constantly second guessing ourselves and constantly holding ourselves to completely unrealistic expectations and constantly having guilt about, about what we are doing and what we're not doing. And I think that's true for all women, uh, but particularly around the topic of motherhood, whether you make the choice to, to go into motherhood or you decide it's not for you, you are going to be dealing not only with other people's opinions about that 
and about how you do it and about why you do it. But then your own internalized critic sort of repeating those to yourself. And so part of that is really, I mean, and this is a lot of the work I do with my clients, right, is getting in touch with your deepest, truest self, getting really, really comfortable with who you are and feeling really working on feeling really good about who you are so that you can be clear about the decisions you're making, that they come from that deep place within yourself, that they align with the values you know you have. And that creates a strength and a buffer, right, from the outside opinions because you can settle back in and say, okay, I know that I'm making this choice based on my truest self. My soul is making this choice. My intuition is making this choice. This is a really, really real choice for me. And anyone else's opinions don't really impact that choice being right or wrong for me. Yeah, that I was thinking very something very similar kind of before you wrapped that up of like when we're making decisions between two imperfect options and our brain like I feel like our minds go to this place where we think that there's a right choice, but mm-hmm. since there isn't, we kind of torture ourselves with the decision process because we haven't gotten to the place where we've really internalized that each choice is going to have a trade-off and not going to feel good in certain ways, but I think to be able to get yourself to that realization and make the choice and find the trust in yourself, even though you still have the bad feelings from like the choice is just inherently suboptimal. And no matter what you choose, it's it's not going to feel good. But to not internalize that bad feeling as like you made the wrong choice or you did something wrong, but actually to see yourself as a powerful decision maker and as someone who is is – thoughtfully and skillfully navigating a really difficult thing, I think is such a different experience in decision making versus when you kind of use the difficult decision to just beat yourself up because you're thinking there's like a way to do it perfectly. Yes, absolutely. I love that, uh, that term powerful decision maker. I love that. It's beautiful. And I think it's so true. There are so many decisions that we have to make that are just these big, scary life choices. I think Becoming a parent is one of the bigger ones. (laughs) And, you know, let's say someone does decide they want to have kids. There's a lot of logistics that go into that. There's a lot of like, am I going to have enough money? Am I going to have enough space? What is that going to look like for my social life? What is that? And those are all important things to think about. At the end of the day, though, if you really feel like you are meant to be a parent, you will figure those things out. If you really feel like you are not meant to be a parent, then you don't need to figure that out. <laughs> then you will figure out how your life looks. The, the idea is to really know yourself well enough to know what will bring you the most life satisfaction, what will bring you the most joy, what will give you, like I always talk about, the idea isn't some lofty goal in the future. The idea is to create the best days for the life that you have mm-hmm. now, right? And what can I do that's going to give me the best days that I can possibly have? And so to sit with yourself and settle in and think, okay, what is the future that that feels the most right to me? Will I feel like I'm not honoring myself if I decide to have children or if I decide not to have children, right? And that's where the decision has to come from because the logistical stuff and other people's opinions and all that, you'll, you'll figure that out. But the decision itself is a very deep personal soul decision. And that has to come from that. And then everything else is secondary. It just makes me wish the corporate space was a little more entrepreneurial about this. Mm -hmm. Because like in corporate, it's very much just like time is money. And there's not that thinking of like, how can I get more done in less time? And I just feel like, like what, like motherhood, what a spectacular opportunity to sort of stretch your thinking and be like, how can we innovate and make this better. And I guess this gets to like some of the systemic stuff that you're talking about, right? But what adjustments can we make to make things work in this new normal that don't have to make someone's work product less? Like, how about we get rid of like the BS meetings and like some of the other stuff that doesn't need to be there so that you have more time and space to to be a parent? Because that's the thing that you decided to do that's perfectly acceptable. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that goes a lot to talking about what our values are as a society, right? And our society is a capitalist society, right? So it the the biggest value is value, like monetary value, productivity, time is money, right? That's a huge thing. And we've all internalized that. That's why we all feel pressure. Even if you have a day off, a lot of people have this like anxiety, like, well, I should be doing something, right? I, that This is like the idea that rest is wasteful, 
that time spent with friends is wasteful. That like all this, right? We have this idea that we are only valuable if we are being quote unquote productive and productive means that we are making money for somebody. Yeah. Right. And so that is really difficult then when you're doing something like mothering, right? Which it doesn't make money for anybody. <laughs> um, it takes a lot it costs of money. actually a lot of money. Um, <laughs> you're doing something like mothering, which is not valued in our society. It's not valued. There are a lot of expectations put on it, but it's not valued because it doesn't make you any money. And it's only considered a job if you are taking care of somebody else's children and not considered a job if you're taking care of your own children, right? It's, it's completely unpaid labor because it is work taking care of kids, right? And so we have to look more at like, what are the values in our society that we are agreeing to participate in, right? If I live my life putting on myself that I have to be productive all the time, that I have to be making the most of all my time, that I have to, like, if, if you allow, if you're putting yourself in there, you're aligning with those values, which is fine if you really believe them. But I believe that people deserve to have full, whole, integrated lives where you have fulfillment from whatever your career path is. You have fulfillment from your personal life. You have fulfillment in your spiritual life. If you engage in a spiritual life. You have fulfillment from your relationships, right? That all of those things are equally important parts of a whole well-lived life. And so sometimes for me, when I work with moms, I've, I've worked with a lot of working moms, right? It's like, it's not about figuring out how to be 100% at work and 100% at home because you're not two people who have 200%, has 200% of your time. It's about figuring out okay, what are my actual real values? What I actually really value, not what does like my corporate structure value, right? And then how can I start making choices that create that kind create the kind of life that would feel the most honoring of myself and give me the most joy and give me the most fulfillment. And that's not always by being the most productive. And one thing that I'll speak to that came up for me while you were talking is there might be women listening to that and thinking, mm-hmm. but like I want to advance in my organization and they have that value system. And so it's not fair to me then because if I bring in my value system and try to balance my life out a little bit, I'm going to get penalized. And that is definitely true. That's a reality out there. And I also think that in the corporate world, it's not, it's not perfect. There's a lot of problems, but you you can buy flexibility through the reputation and relationships that you build and through the foundation that you establish. And I think that it's really important to to kind of like with that decision, think about if I was really confident in myself and I knew I did a good job and I knew I could do a good job also while having a kid and I wasn't afraid to advocate for myself, what would it look like for me to – um, explicitly take up space and say, like, these are my standards and expectations going forward. And here's how I'm going to deliver on what's needed. And I know it's not like perfect and you can't always do that. But I do think sometimes we can underestimate our own ability to believe in ourselves and be like, no, I can make these pieces work. And I'm going to show you why this does make sense. And I'm going to show you why I still am delivering. And to to build the structure we want and advocate for ourselves, it might not always work, but it, it is an option. And I think that it's, it's something that's worth thinking about is like, if I had the guts to really drive the narrative around my performance and my work-life balance and what I'm available for, and I had the guts to fiercely advocate for myself, what could that look like? I think that's really beautiful because it touches on something that I think is so important, which is like boundaries, right? And confidence. And when you go into having children, boundaries are very, very, very important, not only in your personal life, right? But in your work life. And to say with confidence, I'm very valuable to this organization. Here's all the data that backs that up. Here's what I've done. My value does not change after I have children, but my availability might, or my schedule might, or my ability to work from home might. So how do I adjust how I communicate my boundaries in a way that still puts 
first and foremost in the in the front, here's how valuable I am. And here's how I know that every situation I've come up against, I've found a way around it. And I feel confident that I'm going to find a way to make this work. But I also, here are my boundaries as far as like, I'm going to have a child, so I might need to take this time off, right? I want to have this amount of maternity leave. Because I think until we all get a little bit more vocal about the fact that we need to have a different kind of work structure (laughs) in order to have some kind of work-life balance, that's not really going to change. Yes. You said it better than I did, I think. Well, we said different things, but they're complimentary. Yeah. Yeah, right. But that piece of I have value. And I think also to even say my value is not one to one correlated with my time and my hours. I think that that's such a big piece of it too, right? Of that, like, I can find a way to deliver what has been asked of me and trust my instincts on the best way to balance that and like to have belief in one's own perspective enough then to sell your boss on it or to sell someone else on it. And I think for me, what I think about is like when you're going to sell someone else on that and be like, hey, here's what my lifestyle is going to look like. Here's what my schedule is going to look like. And here's why it's going to be equal to or better than before I had a kid. You have to get there inside. And I think just indulging yourself a little bit to say, like, what if I could get there? Like, is there something in me that thinks I am so badass at the work that I do? And I have such a unique perspective that I'm equally valuable even when I make these adjustments. Absolutely. And I think for moms who are already working, right, and who haven't been able to have that conversation and are struggling with work-life balance, how can I have that conversation now? What I always talk about when I work with people, it's like, usually if I'm working with you, something is not working for you, <laughs> right? <laughs> so you're here, you know, because you're burnt out or you're here because you don't have work-life balance or whatever it is. So if it's not working for you, then we got to do something. What are we going to do, right? And if it is, you know, not feeling like you have a work-life balance because you are really committed to your career and also really committed to your children and there's just not enough time in the day, right? Taking a step back and looking at everything and seeing, okay, where do I really want to spend my time? How do I really want to spend my time? Figuring out what would be ideal for you and then creating a plan of how to present that. So starting from your value, and moving outward, as opposed to, well, I need to make it work for my career, and I need to make it work for my children, and I have to make it work for everybody. You can't. You're not going to make it work for everybody before it works for you. Because if you're going from a place of pleasing everyone, you're not going to have work-life balance. You're not going to have a life that feels sustainable, because at the end of the day, you will drain yourself dry. And that's the problem, right, is that our society is not built for mothers because they are expected to be 100% at work and 100% with their kids. And that's not humanly possible. (laughs) Yeah. And I think this is also a place where there's such a good opportunity for role modeling to happen at more senior and executive levels. And that's why it's so important then that we need more women in those positions because the men, they can't, they can't do the role modeling because their, the expectation is so inherently different for them. Yeah. And I think that's why I think we need to change the narrative from doing it all or being a super mom or the whole leaning in thing, right? Because it's not sustainable and it does not honor the humanity of women. And instead focus on a narrative of how do we do it best for ourselves, right? How do it, there's, you cannot tell me that there isn't a system that would work where mothers could have work and have value in the workplace and feel fulfilled and still be able to feel good about the parenting that it, that's doesn't, that's not impossible. We're just not creating systems that support that. But there are women who have figured out ways to make it work for them, right? And the more women who step into their power and, and, and take a step back and say, okay, how am I going to make this work for me? so that I can be feel my most valuable at work and feel my valuable with my children, but also feel fulfilled as a human. Like my whole job is like 
Moms are people. Moms are humans. We get to be human. We get to feel. We get to have needs. Get to have dreams. So how do we then make a plan for ourselves that honors all the different parts of ourselves so that we can create a system that works for us? And it doesn't have to look like everybody else's. That leads so good into some of the other topics. Do you want to go to guilt and no way to manage it all? Or do you want to go to splitting responsibilities with a partner? Next? I think guilt and no way to manage it all first. Okay. Because that not naturally leads into <laughs> to the splitting. So the reason that I put this question on the interview guide of like feeling like there's no way to do it all is because as I spent time with my clients who are parents like what my brain was doing was it was like, oh, like the math of what this human is expected to do, like doesn't, doesn't sum to a hundred. That's what I'm saying. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. And like, as someone who like likes efficiency and wants all the boxes to be checked, like I got deeply frustrated and upset about this. You know, I don't have kids, so I don't have firsthand experience. So this might be the most firsthand experience I've ever gotten is to really see people work through all of it. So I want to get your perspective on this feeling of like, it's never enough. There's no way to manage it all and internalizing that as a personal failure. So I mean, I think that's the important thing you're talking about is internalizing it as a personal failure, because it is not a personal failure. It's a societal failure. Like I said, our society has set women and mothers up for failure. You wouldn't jump off a cliff and then be mad at yourself that you couldn't fly. Right? It is not a failure that you are not able to do something that is impossible. So right. it is impossible to work a full-time job and be 100% committed to that job and 100% focused and be 100% focused on your children all the time and do everything for them. That's not possible. People like to tell you it's possible. They say, oh, you can have it all. Right. But I think our idea of what have it all means is very flawed because what they're saying is you can do it all and you can be super mom, but we're not superhuman. We're people. Okay. We're people who need sleep and rest and acknowledgement and our fulfillment to matter. We need to have times of joy and play and we get set up for failure. And then when we, our kid is sick, so we can't show up to work and we miss a deadline or something really important is going on at work and we miss a parent teacher conference or we forget about a doctor's appointment or whatever it is, that feels like a personal failure. Oh, I, I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't do it all. But the expectation is ridiculous. It's outrageous. <laughs> and so that's part of what I do with clients is to step back and say, okay, what are the expectations that you are operating on? Where are they coming from? And how reasonable are they? The expectation to be two human beings, neither of whom do any self-care, <laughs> that's not reasonable. And that is why you're burnt out. And that is why you feel like you're failing. Not because you're failing, but because you're expecting something of yourself that's not possible. And it's just like beating your, ramming your head into a brick wall over and over and over again. It's not going to make any difference. You're just going to keep feeling that way. And so part of it is creating different expectations and a different idea of what it looks like to be a working mom. Yeah. The phrase good enough keeps popping into my head because I know even in the non-mom sphere, just sort of like getting caught in perfectionism and really coming to that place of it's good enough. Because I, I feel like when we're when we say it's good enough, I think what we're really saying is I'm good enough. Mm -hmm. Because I think the thing that we're working on is just a, a projection of how we understand ourselves. And I think I, I think when we say it's good enough, what we're saying is like I commit to loving myself and supporting myself. And I I feel like that's probably just such a big part of that conversation. Yeah, I think you know, I, what I talk about a lot is allowing yourself to be a human being, right? Perfectionism isn't, uh, is expecting yourself to be a robot, right? You have to allow yourself to be human. You know, moms deserve and we all deserve to feel like we are fully human with all the range of emotion, who are able to make mistakes, who are able to have successes, and that they can all exist. And that your value is centered in that like who you are and that you are a human being who deserves respect and all humans have value, not in what you do, right? And again, because our value structure is really messed up, <laughs> we think about our value has to do with our productivity or our value has to do with how well we're 
raising our children, right? As opposed to you have inherent value, you are already valuable and you are doing the best you can. And being kind to ourselves and having grace for ourselves that life is difficult, (laughs) work is difficult, parenting is difficult, and we're all doing the best we can. And particularly if you're listening to a podcast like this, if you're going to coaching, you are really trying, right? You're really making extra steps to do the best you can and to give yourself that space. There is actually literature on this in, you know, the child development world about the good enough mother and about how we have these like very high expectations of like, well, I have to feed my children only organic food that I grew myself and they can never have screen time and I will never, you know, (laughs) and like they will like learn to read by the time they're two and all this stuff, right? And I can never be angry or raise my voice. And okay, all those things are not really possible, right? But we have this idea that, but this research shows that children just need a good enough mom, (laughs) good enough parent. They don't need a super mom. And in fact, psychologically, what is best for children is to see their mothers being human with a full range of human emotion. Because if they don't, if they don't see us fail and see how we deal with failure, if they don't see us get angry and see how we deal with anger, they don't see us get overwhelmed and see how we do with overwhelm. How are they supposed to learn that? And then they get the idea that when it happens to them, there's something wrong with them as opposed to that, that they're just having a human experience. Yeah. I feel like there's a really, there's a generational, I think, wedge in terms of self-awareness, allowing emotions, giving ourselves space. And you can also really see it in the corporate world and like really see how as people enter into the workforce, they have different expectations in terms of being allowed to be human. And I think that's just really interesting. And it's just interesting to think about how the pandemic might be accelerating or precipitating this idea that maybe this old world model of like, we get everything right and we don't make mistakes and like, we shouldn't feel these icky feelings is like actually not correct. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the pandemic, particularly for mothers showed a lot because when moms had to get dressed and go into the office, everyone could pretend like their children didn't exist except for the mom. But when your kid is banging around in the background of all your meetings because you don't have anywhere to go, it's clear what moms are handling. And it was a, it's a stark contrast between the way that the pandemic affected, you know, more mothers left the workplace in the last couple of years than in decades, right? It was a clear trajectory of more and more mothers in the workplace. And now there's a steep drop off because the pandemic made it impossible it was insane to try to work. It was very difficult to, to work and have your kids. I had two kids in Zoom school while I was trying to work and my partner was trying to work. It was impossible. And it showed that very clearly, right? And in a lot of cases, even though both parents were at home, the mothers were still bearing the burden of the mental load of motherhood, which we talk about a lot. The mental load of motherhood is keeping track of the million things you have to keep track of for your children, which often is almost completely on the mother, whether both parents are working or not. And that's in a, you know, it's sort of a heteronormative situation. But the pandemic brought that out really clearly. And so I'm hoping (laughs) that like you said, it will accelerate making some changes in the way that we approach work and family. And that families are important to our community or our life structure. And that if we make room for people to both want to have a a successful, meaningful, fulfilling career and still have a successful, meaningful home life, that we make space for both to be possible at the same time. That leads really well into the next topic, which is this idea of splitting responsibilities between a partner, advocating for how you want those responsibilities split. Again, no specific pointed question, but I'd love to just get your thoughts on that topic as a whole. Oh, well, you know, from a personal and (laughs) professional standpoint, it's rough. (laughs) So, Like I said, you know, because of patriarchy, that's only the second time I said it, often in particularly sort of male-female relationships, there is this automatic assumption that women will do more of the caretaking and more of the housekeeping than their male partner. 
because of, you know, years and years of history of women doing that, even when both parents are working full time. And even if a mother's working part time, or if she's just working full time as a mother, that doesn't mean that all of everything should be taken care of by her, right? That a partner can't also do laundry and cook meals and wash dishes and all of those sort of household family things that have to get done. Um, and, and then the other thing is that mental load, right? Of who is my kid's doctor? When are their doctor's appointments? What shoe size are they? Do they need new shoes? Oh my gosh, it's another spirit week at school. I have to get like a costume for my kid and it's there and it's this person's birthday party and that person's birthday party and I have to get a present and oh no, they need a dentist and and it's just like going on through your head all day while you're trying to focus on work. And that is very, very rarely happening in the male parent brain more and more, but it is, and there's a lot of literature on this, right? About the mental load of motherhood. And so I have worked a lot. This is something I've worked a lot with moms on being able to start to have that conversation with their partner. And part of it is first, and I say this all the time, settle into yourself and see what your internalized oppressive thoughts are when it comes to what you're supposed to do and what the expectations of you are. So that before you go into that conversation, you're clear about what you actually think is fair, Mm -hmm. right? And then I always suggest set aside a time. Don't have the conversation when you're stressed out and pissed off because you're doing too much and you're burnt out. That's not a great time to have those kind of constructive conversations. You set aside a time and you sit down and say, I am feeling burnt out. I'm feeling overwhelmed. What's happening now is not sustainable for me. I want to have space to feel joy, to have space to have fun with the kids. I want, I, I want to have space in my brain for my own thoughts. And I really want you to have that too. And I want us to work together so that we both feel seen and heard and fulfilled in this relationship. So let's sit down and list out all of the things, all of the things, not just the household things, but all of the mental load, all of those things and talk about how we can address all of these as a team. And I suggest being clear about what the mental load of motherhood is to your partner. And if they often, I've found that if I present, and this doesn't work for everybody, but if I present my partner with some literature on it, that it's not just coming from me. Like there are experts who are talking about this. It's almost easier for him to understand it and to see it in a different way. Cause you know, when you're, people can get defensive in conversation about your, your personal relationship. But to be clear about this is all that's going on. This is all that has to get done. How are we going to address that together? Because often the other partner actually has no idea how much you're doing. And they have no idea how overwhelming that is until you sit down. But you have to address it not from a place of blame or anger, but from a place of like vulnerability saying, I'm not okay. The way we're doing this is not okay. And how can we address this as a team so that we both feel the best that we can? as we're doing this parenting thing together. Do you find that that conversation can feel awkward or even scary for someone who hasn't had that type of communication with their partner? Maybe this is the first time they're really stopping to assess these things and to bring them into the fold. Yeah. I mean, I think even for me, who this is like my job, having those conversations can feel scary when you sit down to do them. I think often when we are growing and we're stepping outside of our comfort zone and we're making ourselves vulnerable, that's really, really scary. But the reason that you're even thinking about having that conversation is that what's happening right now isn't working and that you've got to try something. And so you have two choices, right? You can stay in your comfort zone, which I like to think of mine as like a cozy little room that I love to be in, but there's like no food or light in there. (laughs) So I can stay in there and be cozy, but I'm not going to grow because there's Mm -hmm. nothing in there that's going to help me grow. So, you know, comfort zone isn't a bad thing. You can go in there and take a nap, but you can't live there. Not if you actually want any change in your life. So to step outside of that is where that's where you grow. And you're obviously thinking about having a conversation because life is not working. So you have the choice to either stay where you are and be miserable (laughs) or try something. And you can't 
change doing everything on your own by continuing to do everything on your own. The whole point is that you need help. And the only way you can get it is to ask for it. The only way that people know what our needs are is if we advocate for them. I really love that you shared that this is what you do and that that conversation can feel uncomfortable for you because I think what, what happens a lot with people is they assume like something's wrong with them because that next step or stepping out of their comfort zone is feeling scary. And I think that kind of deters them from doing it because it feels really scary to investigate. Like, why does this feel this way? There must be something wrong with me. Let me just stay in my old pattern because it's too scary to like confront these feelings or understand this. And I think a really powerful realization along the way is that this feeling, while it doesn't feel great, (laughs) and it's not a feeling that I would choose, it's actually part of the process. And it's definitely not a sign that I'm doing it wrong, or that something is wrong with me, or that I can't move forward and do this. Because I think one of the biggest things that deters people from growth is that feeling comes on, and we misinterpret it as a signal that we need to back down and stay how we were and reorienting our relationship with that feeling. It's super hard. It's not easy, but it it is the thing I think that helps us see like that we can do this. Nothing is wrong with us. We're just having a human moment and we totally have what we need inside to navigate it. Absolutely. That's so beautifully put. I think we, you know, we have this, we grew up with this idea that bad feelings are bad. And good feelings are good, but there are no good or bad feelings. They're just feelings. And the one thing I know about feelings is they always end, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> that they always end, that, that there's always a new feeling. And so allowing yourself to feel how you feel is not going to like make the feeling last forever. It's actually going to help you get through it quicker. And, you know, I look back on my life and I think about all of the things I'm most proud of. I was scared as you know what, before, before they happened, right? You know, when I went to college, when I went to grad school, when I got married, when I had my children, when I started my own coaching business, like that's all scary stuff, right? We've talked about it. Putting yourself out there and being vulnerable is scary. It's terrifying. But it's the good, yeah, it's terrifying, but it's, it's the good kind of scary because the result is growth. Even if the result isn't what you expected it to be, I have been plenty of times when I put something out there and I've been so excited and it tanked, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh yeah, well, <laughs> okay, but well, what do I learn from that? I could go back into my hidey hole and never do that again and just live with that feeling of failure. Or I could say, okay, can I go the way that I thought it would? What can I do differently next time? The beauty of life is change and growth and feeling everything and living in it fully And the more we hide and shy away from that, the more we're stuck where we are. Totally. And also, like, I love what you shared about sometimes we do the scary thing and we don't get the result we want. And whenever that comes up with a client, one of my favorite things to look at is, okay, the result isn't different, but you're different. How are you different, right? It's like when someone asks for a raise and they don't get it which it doesn't happen. They usually do get the raise, but occasionally they'll get a no or a not now, you know, we need to wait another cycle or whatever. And I'm like, well, great. Like you never have to ask for a raise for the first time ever again. And the first time, let me assure you, is the hardest and scariest it will ever be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, you know, one of the things that I talk to clients about when we have that they're going through a situation like that. It's like, well, how proud of yourself are you that you put yourself out there, right? Whatever the outcome, the exercise of doing that is a huge victory, right? And I'm big on let's focus on the wins. In every situation, there's a win. In every situation, there's something that you can be really proud of yourself about. And if I put myself out there and I ask for a raise and I don't get it, I get a maybe or I get it later, I can be so proud that I advocated for myself that I was confident in myself enough in myself to put myself out there and that I, and I bet that I showed my boss that confidence in myself. And I also gained valuable information. This place is not willing to give me a raise. What information is that? And what does that mean moving forward? Right. Totally. So looking at things, not as a zero sum game, not as like success or defeat, but everything is a mixed bag. 
and what is the positive that I can pull out from that while acknowledging any feelings of disappointment or whatever I have. But let me make my focus on, okay, here's what I'm really proud of myself for. Here's the information I gathered and here's what I learned from it that I'm going to use moving forward. Totally. And I think, I know I'm speaking from personal experience. Sometimes it can just be really hard to break out of that pattern of beating yourself up, right? And it can be really hard to go to a place where you're genuinely proud of yourself. And when that's happening for me, I just try to name what's happening and say, you know what, like, I just can't feel proud of myself, even though I know I should. I'm really like beating up on myself right now. And it's really all my mind can do. So I'm not going to try right now. But I'm also not going to like judge myself for this experience because I know maybe when the emotion subsides, I'm going to be able to look at what happened and be like, whoa, I was being very hard on myself about that. Like one little thing that didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. Well, that's it's so funny you say that's one of the exercises I do with clients a lot. And so like, okay, just tell me what's happening with zero judgment involved, right? Tell me exactly what's happening, what you're thinking and what you're feeling with no judgment. So instead of like, oh, I'm the worst, I'm like beating myself up. I know I should be focusing on being proud of myself. Why can't I do this? Instead say, I, this disappointing thing happened. I'm feeling sad and mad and frustrated and I'm blaming myself. That's what's happening without judgment. And then you can look at that and see it for what it is. Even if you're not ready to see a positive spin, you can at least look at it without the heaps of negative that you're putting on yourself, right? Without the self-blame and the shame. That pulls that out of it a little bit. And it's step by step, right? We've been trained over our whole lives to think the way that we think and to speak to ourselves the way that we speak to ourselves. You're not going to snap your fingers and that's just completely different. It's about taking steps and really retraining yourself over a period of time to look at things differently and to speak to yourself differently and and to sh- learn how to shift your perspective more quickly. And it's just about building up those tools and really using them and practicing them, just like anything else. If someone is in the corporate world, they have learned a lot and done a lot and they have shifted and, and they've already proven, right? I always say the data is in what you've already done. You've already proven that you can learn new things. You've already proven that you can work really hard. It's just that we're going to learn new things and work really hard on something that's internal now. And that can feel... Oh, <laughs> it's so much harder. <laughs> yeah, that can feel so much harder. But you already know you're capable. You already know that you can do that. You just you just have to try and then take it step by step and not expect too much of yourself when it's taken however many decades to get to where you are to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to make a change and I'm going to start small. And those small steps turn into giant leaps. Yes. Okay. We need to do part three because there's so (laughs) much here, right? On what it means to change and break old patterns and all the things that come up along that journey. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) this is like, this is a perfect point to wind down this conversation, but it's like a doorway to a totally other one, which is Mm, the change process and getting through the really hard phases involved of stretching yourself and doing something new and different. Absolutely. And I think, you know, whether I'm working with a mom who's working five jobs or whether I'm working with a mom who's just not just, but is doing the the five job job of being at home with their kids, often what we work on is the same, right? It's getting to know yourself deeply, understanding your value, feeling confident in yourself enough that you can demand what you need. And that's the base of the work. And tell us more for those who might be curious about working with you. Tell us where we can find you. And I don't know if you have anything coming up, but if you do, tell us about it. Yeah. So you can find me at my website, hannahrednickcoaching.com. I also have a blog on there with lots of tips, mom-related and not mom-related about I have stuff on how to like look at exercise differently and making different choices and what to do when you get stuck and all lots of good stuff. And I have some free tools you can download on my website too about how to do with burnout, how to create mantras. Um, I have an Instagram, Hannah underscore Rednick underscore coaching that I just put out stuff that I think would be helpful to the world. Um, I have a mom's group that I am enrolling now and that's just a small group for moms to come together and support each other and work on whatever their individual goals are as a group. And there will also be some parts of it that are a little bit more like learning about how patriarchy 
impacts motherhood and how to deal with burnout and how to deal um, with boundary setting and things like that. Um, and that information on that is on my website as well. Um, yeah. And then I'm always uh, doing coaching and loving doing coaching. So if anyone's interested in that, I always offer a free mini coaching session that they can sign up for on my website. Beautiful. I will link your information in the show notes. And now you get to do the closing questions for the second time. They'll be like slightly different than the first time. Yeah, I hope my answers are different. (laughs) Yeah, well, the good thing is, I feel like I always forget anyway, you know, what was said. So I tweak them. But then I'm like, I don't know if I even need to tweak them. We could just like keep answering them. Yeah, it comes up. Um, But the first one I wanted to answer is just, is there anything that we haven't talked about or just anything on your mind or your heart where you're like, this is an important message or caveat or thing to share? You know, the work that I do professionally is very individual in working on sort of em- empowerment and working against depression on an individual interpersonal level. But I think it's also really important to work on that on a macro level and to be for everyone to sort of do their part in examining their own part in oppressive systems and examining where they sit with all of that and how they can make a difference on a larger scale. So I just want to encourage everyone. It can feel really, really big. <laughs> like there's so much strife in the world. There's so much going on. But if there's like something that you care about, people that you care about, a cause that you care about, there's always something that you can do. And it's very fulfilling, even if you start really small. So I just always want to encourage people that as we work on our own empowerment, we also make sure that we are acknowledging the struggles of everybody else and finding ways to participate on a larger scale of making life better for everybody. And for the next one, this is on the name of the show, The Art of Speaking Up. So you can either share your choice, you can share what that means to you, or you can just share advice on someone who is trying to feel more confident in their voice. Um, I mean, I think, you know, as someone who has felt the struggle of feeling confident in their voice, I think that, and I mean, maybe this is like repeating myself, but I think the the real key to it is really figuring out who you are and what you really value about yourself and fostering the belief that your voice is really important, that what you have to say is really valuable to the world And that you would be doing a disservice to the world to not share your perspective because every human being's perspective has a place and is valuable. And so to think not only as a like, a lot of times we think about it is our our voices are intruding on something as opposed to like there is a space that is dying for our voice to be a part of it. And so you're not intruding your voice, you're sharing this gift that you have with the world. And particularly as women, (laughs) we've been trained to be quiet. And that when we speak up, we're being too loud. And when we speak powerfully, we're being bossy, right? But you can examine that and know that's not true and that your voice is very important. And so working on your confidence in your self-love and really knowing what's unique and beautiful about yourself can help you to then feel more confident to share that gift with everybody else. But to see it as a sharing of your gift rather than a scary imposing of yourself onto a a space because that space was already made for you. Mm. I love that sharing it as a gift rather than a scary imposing of yourself. Okay, last question. And let's direct this question specifically towards moms. I always talk about this idea of what would you say to someone who is struggling or feeling a lot of doubt. And I think especially with, you know, where we are in this, I don't want to say post pandemic, just still pandemic era, and what moms have gone through over the past couple of years, in addition to what they went through before this even happened. If someone's kind of in a rough place, or a dark place, and not feeling too great about themselves, is there anything that you would want to say to that person? Oh, yes, I love that. I would say you're not alone, that a lot of us are going through that and having moments of that, that it's okay to struggle, that struggle is a part of life, but that whatever you're going through, you deserve the space to feel your feelings. You deserve grace. You deserve to to be a human being who has a whole range of emotions and that there are ways for you to both be struggling and be going through what you're going through 
and still find joy and still find purpose and to find a way to get out of it that our struggles and our setbacks and our difficult times are not forever. And that if we love ourselves enough and believe in ourselves enough, there's always a way for us to move forward, even though it's really hard. But I would just say that you are valuable and you are totally worth all the work that you put into yourself. You're totally worth taking one step towards something better. And don't believe for a second if anyone tells you differently. So beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on the show again, Hannah. Thank you for having me. It's so fun. Thank you for tuning in. I would love to hear what you thought of this interview. So please don't be shy. Reach out to me. Reach out to Hannah. I'm going to drop her website, her Instagram, her contact information down in the show notes. Definitely check out her work if you're feeling that connection with her. And please feel free to reach out to her or me or both of us just to say hi and let us know that you're listening and you made it till the very end. Thank you so much for being here. I will also drop my website and Instagram in the show notes in case you want to follow me on IG or just come say hi or check out my work. And I'm so happy that you've made it all the way here. If you did, just, you know, one thing that I hope you take away from this episode is just to be a little bit easier on yourself. It's That's certainly something that I struggle with so much and something that I'm constantly re-reminding myself is just to give myself a little bit of slack and just go a little bit easier with myself and have just a little bit more grace whenever I can remember to. And I hope you can take that away too. I hope you have such a beautiful day and a beautiful week and I will catch you next week for another solo episode.